Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and I'm by myself. I just automatically want to say with me, as always, is Charles, but Charlie's not here right now, and I don't even know where he is. He's somewhere on the beach, sipping my ties, wearing a blue shirt, probably, but that's okay. We're going to keep doing the show anyway, so if this is your first time listening well, we normally have two people today. We just got one, and all the people in the Patreon group. That's right, all kinds of people on here watching live, commenting. I mean, there's already like there's already like 30 comments on this video so far, and we're just getting going. I'm going to do my best to read them as we're going along and try to talk at the same time. But if you're interested in getting in this live group, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty for as little as five bucks a month. You can participate in the live podcast Er single day of the week when we want to talking life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. So let's get right on into the big news of the day trending all over Twitter, which has spawned all kinds of other trending hashtags as well. A Norwegian official has nominated Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize, citing the Israel UAE agreement. Okay. So this is this is actually the second time this person has nominated him. So it's it's already happened before. The last time was after he had done the meeting with Kim Jong Un, which was a pretty big deal. Now we also brokered this deal with between UAE and Israel, which we'll learn about here in just a second because it wasn't exactly all over everyone's radar whatsoever, but he's been nominated again. And this is an interesting conversation because while this is obviously a libertarian podcast, there are still wars going on all over the place. Too many wars. Just, a, just way too many. I don't, I don't like any of them. Okay, So there's wars going on everywhere. Still bombs being dropped. But I'm always brought back to the question, is Trump like the most, as far as international relations, as far as starting new wars, has he been like one of the most de-escalating presidents we've had in our lifetimes, honestly? I mean, just being honest. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're, we're going to talk about how it is to just be principled in a moment and not be so divisive and just only hate one side or the other because uh, I'm not going to be voting for Trump, but I can talk good about Trump and his um, attempt to try and kind of tamp down some of the wars that we've had going on and to try and talk to people. So we can talk positively about that. And then we can go right on to the fact that he just extended the ban on offshore oil drilling, which I don't really think the government should be doing. So we'll talk about that afterwards. So see, you can just be equally 
for and against someone depending on each policy and depending on what your principles are. So let's go through this article. A member of the Norwegian parliament has nominated President Trump for the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize for his role brokering relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Christian Tybring Jed? Jed? I don't know. Uh, we'll just call him TG. CTG, a four-term member of the parliament and chairman of the Norwegian delegation to the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, submitted the nomination to the Nobel Committee. Quote, for his merit, I think he has done more trying to create peace between nations than most other Peace Prize nominees, TG said of Trump during an interview with Fox News. Trump announced last month that the U.S. was helping to support the full normalization of ties between Israel and UAE, a historic breakthrough in relations in the Middle East and part of the administration's efforts to shore up support against Iran. As part of the agreement, Israel would halt efforts to annex ter territory in the West Bank that was outlined in Trump's plan for peace between Israel and the Palestinians. UAE also ended its boycott against Israel, opening up trade, commerce, and air travel between the two countries. Pretty big deal. In the nomination letter, TG said the Trump administration played an important role in thawing relations between the two countries. Quote, as it is expected, other Middle Eastern countries will follow in the footsteps of UAE. This agreement could be a game changer that will turn the Middle East into a region of cooperation and prosperity, he wrote. So when you take all of this into account, and then a little bit more as we'll read on, talking about the meetings with North Korea and trying to actually talk to them and not just being this, this stalemate with them. I mean, if you look at other people who have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, I can't, I honestly can't say that Trump doesn't deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, good Lord, Obama won it for making good speeches. That's, that's why Obama won the Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize. The dude hadn't done anything yet at all. And then in fact, he started bombing seven, eight different countries while he was president after he had just won the Nobel Peace Prize. So let's go through a little bit more of this article and then we'll talk about Hitler and his dog. We'll talk about that here in just a second. He also cited Trump's key role in facilitating contact between conflicting parties and creating new dynamics and other pro protracted conflicts such as the Kashmir border dispute between India and Pakistan and the conflict between North and South Korea. That's pretty big. TG, who is a member of Norway's conservative-leaning Progress Party, also praised Trump for withdrawing troops from the Middle East. He needs to withdraw some more of those. There's still too many over there. I would say a lot of you guys probably agree. Quote, indeed, Trump has broken a 39-year-old streak of American presidents either starting a war or bringing the United States into an international armed conflict. The last president to avoid doing so was Peace Prize laureate Jimmy Carter, he wrote. This is not the first time TG has nominated Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. He nominated him for brokering the denuclearization deal with uh, North Korea. So that, that last quote, is the important one that we've been talking about quite a bit. We've been mentioning this when we talk pro-Trump or pro some of the things that Trump has done. Compared to a lot of previous presidents, Trump has been pretty anti-war. Now, obviously, the, the wars are, 
ongoing. But what's interesting is we haven't started a new war. And that passes for anti-war these days. That's the really terrible part. Not starting a new war is the new anti-war. But keeping the other wars going. But still, you got to give credit where credit is due. Like this guy said, Trump has broken a 39-year-old streak of American presidents either starting a war or bringing the United States into an international armed conflict. That's a pretty big deal that someone should get credit for, you know, as us for being libertarians and wanting to not go into more conflicts like this. I, I think that it's a pretty big deal. So then you also have the whole idea that he talked to North Korea. Anyway, the interesting part is what else was trending on Twitter after this, which immediately afterwards was Adolf Hitler. And then Trump is a racist, not racist, a rapist was trending after that. So, of course, anytime someone gets nominated for something like this, well, the other side has to come out and mention the other terrible people who have been nominated for this. We did the same thing when Greta Thunberg was put on the cover. I believe she was Times Person of the Year or something like that. Well, of course, we went through other people who were Times Person of the Year. So we did the same thing. So I'm not saying that this isn't a normal thing to do, but we did say when we did this that this doesn't mean that Greta Thunberg is Joseph Stalin or is Adolf Hitler or anything like that. It simply means that these prizes or these awards or these recognitions don't mean anything. You don't need to listen to anyone or not listen to anyone based off of whether or not they were Time's Person of the Year or whether or not they were nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, okay? Because Obama won a Nobel Peace Prize when he had done nothing and then proceeded to double the amount of countries we were bombing. And Trump has actually slowed some of that stuff down. You go through and you look at the other people who have been nominated. Of course, Adolf Hitler was nominated in 1939. So that's why Adolf Hitler was trending immediately after this announcement. There's this thing that people do, which is, if you don't like someone, how many steps does it take in an argument or in a point to get to Hitler? Do you guys remember how many steps it is? It's like a couple steps, and then eventually you're Hitler. Hitler is the, is the like number one argument point for anyone who wants to try and make some type of a disparaging comparison about someone that they're, that they're talking about. We've done it before. We talked about Stalin. We talked about Mao. We do all this stuff. You draw from history and you talk about this. Hitler is one that gets used quite a bit. I really haven't seen the evidence that Trump is like Hitler or that Trump is like a Nazi, I don't know, some type of Nazi-style president. I haven't seen the evidence. I mean, that started with the whole immigration thing. And, of course... Uh, we're libertarians here and we don't agree with exactly what's going on down at the border, but it was bothersome to me that no one cared that Trump was just carrying out Obama's policies and that the, the picture that got famous was a picture from when Obama was president like that. That was really annoying to me overall. And so when that was first used as Trump is a Nazi because he's putting people in cages, I'm like, okay, well, was Obama a Nazi? No, he didn't really say that ever. So there's always a saying like, you know, Hitler had a dog. Oh, this person has a dog. You know, Hitler had a dog. That must mean that this person's like Hitler, right? 
no, it's not really not really a good idea. Six <laughs> six steps to Kevin Bay. We're six uh, six degrees away from Kevin Bacon all the time, and uh, you're always uh, you're always a couple steps in an argument away from Hitler. So be careful if you ever do use things like this. It doesn't need to be like it doesn't need to be like um, Hitler had a dog, and oh Trump has a dog, so therefore therefore that's oh look Hitler had a mustache. Well, you know. This guy's got a mustache. Also, those people with mustaches. Now, they're crazy. Now, if you want to say, well, Trump has segregated an entire community forcefully using the military away from the rest of the country and is putting them in cages and then killing all of them, and you want to say that sounds an awful lot like Hitler, then you could say something like that. I I don't know. Or if you say... We're socialists and we don't like the people who exploit everyone and we're going to take care of those terrible capitalists and and that's why we're here. You could also say, well, that sounds an awful lot like something that Hitler said because I was literally just paraphrasing one of those. Sorry, I got to read through some of this. Yeah, that is the thing Josh said. I've, I've heard if you bring up Hitler, you lose the argument. And that's kind of how I've always felt about it. Once I once someone brought that to my attention, that literally, if you go to Hitler, that means you've you've ran out of everything else. Like you don't have any other reasoning that you don't like something. You got nothing else. Hitler did this, or this sounds like you. This sounds like Hitler. Or this is akin to something that that. It really just means that you don't have another reason. Now we can talk about economics, and I could just say Stalin did that. Stalin did that. Mao did that which we do say that sometimes, but we also back things up with a little bit of basic economics and reasons that this would happen. And then we draw to comparisons of what did happen in the past when people did those things. So we don't just say you can't do that because Stalin did that. Or if you do that, you're like Stalin. We say you can't do this because this, this, and this is going to happen. And I don't want to end up like what happened when Stalin was running things. And so that's that's a better way to run through that. So there is a, (laughs) Josh said, Trump drinks water. You know who else drank water? Hitler. Hitler drank water. From what I hear, that guy drank water. Okay. So now we talk some good Trump. Let's talk some bad Trump real quick. Trump signs order extending ban on new offshore drilling sites off Florida's Atlantic coast. I don't know where you guys stand on this in the live group or the people that listen to the podcast, where you are as far as being an environmentalist goes. I want the environment to be as clean as possible. I truly want to get, I would love to get to a sustainable, renewable energy that is the most efficient thing possible, the cheapest thing that we could possibly use, and not have to worry about creating the energy towards the future because it was so sustainable and renewable that the problem was just solved, okay? Now that sounds great to me. What I want to do is actually allow our market to get there. That's what I want to actually get to. So when we talk about things like offshore drilling or, or any of this, fracking, things like that, you can get into, well, if you have an oil spill or if you have something like this, it's really bad for the environment. And, and so you, you know, a lot of libertarians think that there's still room for the EPA and they need to be able to, to take care of the environment. And, and there, there could be some room somewhere for that. I think that 
basically that's all going to come through different lawsuits and things like that. I know BP probably pay it, paid out a ton of money after the whole Deepwater Horizon thing. Of course, they're still out there drilling. Everything's fine. And we still have an EPA. And we've had it for quite a bit now. So it's not obvious that they're the solution to the problem. Anyway, let's talk through this really quick, just a few lines here, and then talk about what could be some of the motives behind this. Trump on Tuesday signed an order extending the moratorium on offshore drilling on Florida's Gulf and Atlantic coasts, as well as off the coast of Georgia and South Carolina. Speaking during a stop in Jupiter, Florida, Trump boasted of his administration's environmental and conservation record as he put his signature on the order, calling himself the most environmentally friendly president since Theodore Roosevelt and claiming that the United States now has the cleanest air we've ever had in the last 40 years. My administration's proving every day that we can improve our environment while creating millions of high-paying jobs, Trump said. Trump is the great environmentalist. <laughs> That's what he said. Trump is the great environmentalist. I'm going to have to pull that clip and put that in here. Uh, the existing moratorium on offshore drilling covers the Gulf of Mexico, and Trump said the new one would also cover the Atlantic coast, a significant political concern in coastal states like Florida, along with the coasts of Georgia and South Carolina. Despite Trump's comments, the president has rolled back a host of regulations meant to protect the environment, including the power plant emissions, auto fuel standards, and clean water. He withdrew the U.S. from the completely pointless Pointless Paris Climate Accord, a global agreement meant to address the emission of heat-trapping greenhouse gases. Okay, so the no more, no more drilling, no more new wells out there in the ocean, okay? I think this, from what I understand, the previous one was a moratorium on new wells. I'll have to check that out. I don't know if all the ones out there are shut down or if this is just stopping new ones from being built. Either way, I don't like this because I want to get energy to be as cheap as possible. Okay, I, I, I really want that to happen. I think that there's been some lessons potentially learned after what happened with the Deepwater, Deepwater Horizon. All the money that BP, I'm sure, had to pay out after that. People are going to be paying a little bit more attention to this. So I don't think that you can just look at the problems from the past and say that those are obviously going to continue to happen in the future. They, they obviously can. That is uh, always a possibility. But I want energy to be as cheap and efficient as possible because what that's going to do is it's going to allow us to have the prosperity to move towards the new types of energy. See, what we need to get towards these new types of energy is a lot of investment, a lot of risk-taking. We need people who have money to invest their money, to spend their time and their resources, creating new sources of power, creating new batteries, doing things like what Elon Musk is doing with Tesla and doing things like what he does with Solar Roof and all the other things that he's doing all the time. We need these people to do things like this. And if we, if we close down our economy to these cheaper options, we're going to lower the amount of prosperity. We're going to lower the amount of capital that's available to invest on the, in these things. All you're going to be left with is the government trying to invest in things, and the government sucks at investing in things. I don't think we have to go through any, any history to prove that. The government's terrible at investing in things because it's not their money that they're investing, and they don't care what money gets recouped from it. They don't care what comes out of it. They care that they get to say that they invested in it. That way they can win re-election. That's what they actually care about. And they will care maybe a little bit if their husband has some stock ownership in one of the companies that they're going to be investing the money into. 
just off the cuff. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but it sounds like something that's probably happened before, I would say. Right, Nancy? So let's let's focus on providing ways that the, the free market could provide these things. You know, Jeff Bezos has talked a lot about how his plan, he thinks on the 200-year horizon, and his plan is for us to get all of our energy off of Earth and bring it back to Earth for us to use. That's like his big plan. Now, he's not going to be alive to see that. But look at what Bezos has been able to do with all of his wealth and creating Blue Origin. Is that what it is? And going out there, and he said that his plan is that he wants all these massive solar arrays out there. He wants them to charge up batteries and bring them back for us to be able to use. And he, he wants basically Earth to be a residential place and for all of our energy to be brought back from space. Now, that's a really cool idea. It's going to be a while before that's something that can happen. He's also taking all the Amazon factories, I believe, from the commercials I've seen, and they're going to be uh, they're going to be neutral, climate neutral by when 2021, 2024, something like that, coming up soon. Not 2021 because that's coming up too soon. Anyway, within a few years, they're supposed to be supposed to be neutral, and that's pretty cool too. Covering all with solar panels, doing all that stuff. We got to have the capital to invest in these things. If we just take it all away through taxes, if we do things like stopping the offshore drilling, which what it's going to do is it's going to reduce the amount of oil that is available. And when you reduce the supply of something and the demand is still the same, what's going to happen there is the price is going to go up. And when the price needlessly goes up on something, when it does not need to be higher on something, what you're going to have is decreased productivity in all kinds of other areas because people are spending their money on things that they don't need to be spending their money on, like higher-priced gasoline, higher-priced oil for whatever, higher-priced everything that uses oil, when that money could be being used more efficiently in some other type of way. So it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but doing something like this to reduce the supply, more than likely to keep the prices higher, is probably why this is actually being signed and because it might be able to win some political points in some of these states by trying to make sure they don't have any oil spills and stuff like that, or that current jobs in these industries are protected from new people coming in. I imagine those are the reasons that he's doing this. But it, doing things like this to slow down the increase in supply, it's not a good thing because we just decrease the efficiency. That's, that's why I don't like it. Anyway, anyway, yeah, Todd caught the... Solyndra thing. That's kind of what I was going for there. So we talked about the eviction moratorium. Speaking of moratoriums, government just loves to moratorium things, right? They just like to stop you from doing doing stuff. This is from reason.com. Seattle and Washington state are being sued over their eviction moratorium. So this didn't take too long. This is uh, from yesterday, I think. Yeah. The Trump administration's eviction moratoriums go into effect Friday, criminalizing rental property owners across the country from evicting tenants for non-payment of rent. At the same time, legal controversies about similar state and local policies continue to flare up. Last week, several landlords in Seattle, Washington, filed suit against their city and state governments for imposing eviction bans, which the plaintiffs argue are an unconstitutional violation of their property rights. Washington Governor Jay Inslee issued one of the country's first and most comprehensive eviction moratoriums in late February in response to the early outbreak. Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin issued her own eviction moratorium in March, which sunsets 
either at the end of the year or when the mayor calls an end to the city's state of emergency. Just whenever they do it. This was followed by the Seattle City Council passing an ordinance that prevents evictions within six months of Jenny, of Jenny Durkin's moratorium expiring. So at the earliest in Seattle, it's going to be six months from the end of the year because this says it expires either when they call an end to the city's uh, state of emergency or at the end of the year. So at the earliest, the moratorium on collecting rent or not evicting people, basically, is going to be uh, back in June or if, the, if it waits a full six, six months, I guess it would start in July of next year is when you would be able to evict people for not paying, which means people don't have to pay until then. Man, it's pretty crazy. The plaintiffs in last week's lawsuit include two small rental property companies and one individual landlord. One plaintiff alleges that two of its tenants, two of its two tenants have refused to pay rent since April. <laughs> two of its two tenants. That sounds like all of its tenants. Last time I checked. But anyway, I'll just say alleges that two of its two tenants <laughs> have refused to pay rent since April and that one of them has tried to get other renters in the building to engage in a rent strike. Another plaintiff has a tenant that has not paid rent consistently since June of last year and who has refused to negotiate payment plans with uh, Lee, who is the plaintiff. A third plaintiff has historically provided housing to lower income and formerly homeless renters at below market rates, according to the complaint. Bremen has six tenants who are not paying rent and who have refused to negotiate any sort of payment plan. The blanket eviction ban puts landlords at the mercy of tenants who do not pay rent whether they face financial hardship or not, reads a lawsuit which has been filed by the Pacific Legal Foundation. So we talked a lot about this yesterday, and this is a, this is a pretty big deal. And it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes in court. Because, listen, we have a thing that we care about here, which is private property. And when you have a property and someone else gets to come into your property and you can't ask them to leave, well, then you don't have private property anymore. And so this is going to be a very important legal battle. It's going to be a a pretty important thing, and I hope this gets all the way up to the Supreme Court because it's pretty basic. Now, listen, we can go down the line with the the, uh, emotional, justified arguments for why it's terrible that a lot of people could be evicted right now. And we can, we can definitely go down that line. But we still have to have private property rights, okay? What, what does this mean if they can force you to keep people inside your property without asking them to pay you money? What does that mean? It means you don't actually have the private property. What does it mean for people who are going to be future landowners of some kind, landlords of some kind? What does that mean? What's it mean for people who have rental properties right now? What's this going to do to that entire investment space? We had that good conversation yesterday. You know, we were talking uh, talking with Josh yesterday, and um, a lot of people assume that these are big companies that have this, or these are some kind of rich people that have all these rental properties. They're not. They're really not. They're people who got an extra house because they wanted a little bit of an extra income, or they wanted some help on their income, or they wanted a good retirement plan. So they, they went out and they, they fronted the money for another house and 
someone else is going to be basically paying the mortgage for that amount of time. And so they can have that. Or there's someone who had to move and they have this property they can't get rid of. There's all kinds of reasons why you would have some type of property available for rent. Yeah, there's companies that go out there and just buy up all kinds of properties. But the problem is those are the only people that are going to be able to handle waiting six months to get any money because they're going to have the assets and the capital be able to go out and uh, get some loan, some extensions on their loans or whatever, some some kind of help from the banks to, to keep it going. And the, the little people, the people who just have like a house, something like that, they're going to end up getting screwed over here. They're going to end up needing to just sell the house because that's one of the only reasons I was reading through here. You can actually get someone to leave in Seattle. You can sell the house. Well, thank you, almighty government. If you do want to sell the house, then the people do have to leave. And so that is the only way that you can get rid of it is by selling the house. So losing your asset, losing whatever a potential retirement plan for you, a potential stream of income that you have, that's what you have to do. To be able to ask someone to leave your property, you got to sell it out from under them. Okay, now that's not good for you, and it's not great for the people that are there either. This is this is a really this is a really big issue. They're going to have to come through on this, saying that the government has no right to tell you that you have to keep someone inside of your property when you don't want them there. That's a that's the basic thing. You've got to enforce these contracts as well. That's one of the main things in the in the Constitution. Actually, is uh, let's see what impairing uh, impairing the obligation of contracts. I believe lawsuit makes two constitutional claims against the state and city eviction bans. An attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation said the first is that these policies violate the U.S. Constitution's prohibition on states passing laws impairing the obligation of contracts. Eviction is the primary enforcement mechanism for rental contracts, says Levins. When you remove the enforcement mechanism for a violation of the contract, as is the case here, you've impaired the contract. That's pretty obvious. Like if you can't, if you can't enforce the contract, there is a pretty big part of that contract that is uh, impaired at that time. I would have to say. So, I don't know. I'm pretty interested in seeing where this goes. Uh, this is another bad Trump thing. This is a bad CDC thing. This is a terrible rule. What we need to do is address the actual problem. Why did so many people lose their jobs? Why can't people find jobs right now? What things could we do to fix that? And it's not just printing more money and giving it to people. It's getting people back to work that were at work like six months ago. It's, it's fixing that problem, which is just opening up the economy. So let's go on to another thing. I had a, an, an early entry for Dumb Bleep of the Week that we could talk, talk about real quick. So tweet from a guy named Adam Thomas. He said, the minimum wage conversation should start at $25 an hour. All right. The minimum wage conversation should start at $25 an hour. Now, of course, we've been talking about this for a while, and this got tons and tons of retweets, of course. But actually, dude got, I mean, dude got owned pretty good. Honestly, most of the stuff on there were people saying, why not 100 why not a thousand? Why not ten thousand dollars an hour? Come on, this doesn't make any sense. And so my comment back was, does it matter whether or not the businesses can actually pay for this? There's a problem with having a blanket minimum wage over all the businesses in the country. Is that all those businesses have different profit margins? They're all in different industries. 
They all make different money. Some of them are profitable. Some of them are not profitable. So just saying that all of them can afford to pay this much money, it's a terrible idea. It's going to hurt small business owners the most. Now, I want people to make as much money as possible. That's, that's one of the, I mean, honestly, that's one of my goals, make as much money as possible. That's what I want everyone else to do too. But you can't come in and just say that your labor is worth something when it's not worth that much. The only thing that people can do to make your label potentially worth that much is by raising all of their prices. And what's that going to do to all the people who shop at that establishment? Because right now, more than likely, a lot of the people making minimum wage might not even be worth that minimum wage, or they might just be just barely over it, or whatever the lowest wage is at the establishment. So you come in there and say, uh, someone working at Walmart's got to make $25 an hour. Well, I did all the math on all their financial statements. You can get all that information because it's all public information. They're a publicly traded company. And this was a couple of years ago. If Walmart were to raise their minimum wage for the same amount of employees, say they didn't cut their employees and they didn't cut their employees' hours. If they raise their minimum wage up to $15 an hour, then they would be losing uh, was something like $12 billion a year. They would actually be in the negative. And so the only thing they'd be able to do is raise prices, cut the amount of employees, cut their employees' hours, cut benefits that they, that they do offer. And that's their only option that they have because you can't just operate at a loss all the time. Now, one of the annoying parts of this is that I went through the comments and a bunch of times I saw the old, well, places, the reason this is justified is because CEO pay has gone up by 150 billion trillion quadrillion percent and and worker pay has remained stagnant over the past however many years Bernie Sanders says it's been stagnant. And that's a really annoying point in a conversation to make to me because we've made the point several times the CEO pay does not matter when it comes to what the workers get paid. Now, if you're at a place where you have 10 employees and your CEO is making a million dollars a year because uh, he's a dick and everyone else is getting paid like $11 an hour, something like that. Well, yeah, your CEO pay can affect those people's pay for sure. We're talking about Walmart. Someone's got 2.3 million employees and their CEO making, what, $22 million a year. It's going to come out to like a penny an hour. What is that that it comes out to? Somewhere around the penny an hour that, the, that his pay affects. So the idea that CEO pay has anything to do with this is a completely moot point. I don't care what the CEO makes. When the CEO does good things, the company makes more money. There's a really big value added proposition for adding a really good CEO. And if it's a really bad CEO, you can lose billions of dollars. One person could cause something really great to happen or something really terrible to happen and affect the cash flow of the company by billions of dollars. One cashier is not going to do that. That's the problem. That's why a CEO can demand a certain wage and a cashier can demand a certain wage because what the CEO does can affect massively what ends up happening to the company. 
So it's it's pretty obvious when you go through, just like Todd's saying, it says as minimum wage increases, you get places like McDonald's that now have computer kiosks to order, creating a burger flipping machine. I saw that. Grocery self checkout location. You end up pricing out the labor. And that is what's happening. You look all over the country. You've got all these places where you have the self-checkout lines. I kind of like the self-checkout lines unless you have a massive cart of things and then they're pretty annoying. And, you know, I've gone through there with a bunch of stuff before, especially in the age of, you know, not being able to have any workers working anywhere at some of these grocery stores. That's pretty annoying. But then you go through McDonald's. I like using the computerized thing because a lot of times the person at McDonald's just gets my order wrong. And they're not really making the case for why they should, their pay should be doubled according to this person. That's, that's not really what's happening. You can't force businesses to pay people more than what those people are worth financially to them. I don't mean self-worth. I don't mean their emotional worth or their worth as a human being or a place on this earth or in the cosmos or anything like that. I mean what they are financially worth as dictated by the amount of dollars that are brought in while that person is at work and the amount of production that that person does, the productive value of their labor, you cannot force a company to pay the person more than what the value of their labor is on a financial point because then the place will just go out of business. And the CEO pay doesn't matter because when you divide that by millions of employees like these companies have, the CEO pay would affect the workers pay by about a penny if you literally got rid of the CEO and divided this pay between all the workers. So it's, it's just not a good argument. The actual thing that we should do, number one, is stop killing our currency, stop devaluing our dollars that we use for everything, stop doing everything that we possibly can to raise the price of all the things that we do on a daily basis, like with higher minimum wage, like with more regulations, like with higher with corporate taxes and different income taxes and a billion other taxes, taxes on your taxes, like all those things that, that raise the price of everything that we do on a daily basis, like printing money that devalues the purchasing power of your, of, of your currency that you're using. There's a lot of things that we could do. And then you could also accept the fact that a job where you are making the minimum amount is never going to be enough to pay all your bills, especially for a family of four. Okay, that's a pretty annoying proposition. That's uh, it's actually a very annoying proposition. What? Why do we use a family of four? Well, then why don't we make the minimum wage enough to pay for a family of eight? Like, I want to have eight kids. You tell me that I shouldn't get paid enough. So then... And you'll excuse the way I talk about this. I don't really mean it as bad as it sounds, but let's say that you've made some life choices that you could not back up financially, that you were not prepared to pay for. You're basically saying that the minimum someone gets paid should be dictated by the amount of bad decisions they made in their life. And the more bad decisions you've made, the more we should force people to pay you. That's kind of what the argument says to me. What I want to do is make sure that people are productive as possible, that they are producing as much value as possible for other people, and that they can walk into the office and say, if you don't pay me $15 an hour, I'm leaving. Now, if you're worth 
financially, if you are still a profitable member of the company, financially, $15 an hour or more, probably going to need to be 16, 17, because of course you got those FICA taxes on top of that, which you pay part of and the business pays the other part of. If you're worth that, then the person will say, okay, I'll pay that. If the person says, all right, see ya, then you're not worth that much. I'm sorry, but that's something you're going to have to work on. That's something that everyone has to work on. If the person won't pay you that much, then they've decided that losing you is a better proposition than paying you that amount of money. The only reason they would say that is if you weren't worth that much money to them, or if they could just get someone else to come in and do your job for a lower price, which then again means you're not worth that much money to them. That's something for you to work on. You go in there and you be the best Galdern dishwasher that there's ever been, okay? You be the best cashier that there's ever been in the whole world. You'd be such a valuable member stocking the shelves at Walmart that the manager simply cannot imagine you leaving. And even if you aren't creating so much more monetary productivity, you be simply being on the floor and being a great, a great example for all of the other workers is so valuable that they can't imagine you leaving that place. That is how you actually raise your wages or you acquire new skills, you acquire skills that are a little bit more technical, that are more highly sought after, and then you go for something that pays a higher wage. You don't force someone to pay you more than the amount of money that you're bringing in, because all that's going to do is raise prices. All that's going to do is cause more inflation. All right? That's, if, if raising the minimum wage worked, it would have worked like back in 1950, the first time they raised it. I don't know what the first time they raised it was. I think it started in 1938. I don't know what the first raise was. But if raising the wage was the solution, then uh, it would have been solved already. Okay, I'm going to play something to round out this show. Doing this by myself, I'm not going to do a super long show. But we've been talking a lot about the protests that have been going on, a lot about the riots that have been going on. And what I wanted to do today was make sure that uh, we're going to give credit where credit's due. Now, I do not know the exact situation that's happening in this video. I will say that. I don't know the exact situation. Uh, but there is a police officer in this video that is trying to arrest someone. And the person, the suspect, the police officer is white. The suspect is black. He is trying to arrest him. He tries to take him down. The guy ends up tackling him, um, ends up punching him several times in the head. And it looks like the cop is about to get hurt pretty bad. And then we'll just watch on this video if you guys haven't seen it. Hey, bro, you better go. Go. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. So he's trying to take the guy down. Guy punches him in the head. And then a big crowd of people comes over, pulls the guy off of the officer. Everyone else in this crowd is black as well. And they proceed to beat the hell out of the guy. Just really laying it down. 
And now listen, I don't like violence of any kind. And you know, hopefully the guy, now yeah, he's still moving around, so. And they just keep going. And then eventually another police officer arrives. One of the guys is holding the guy down and uh, they're still, still taking it to him. Now the cop's gonna come and arrest the guy that's being held down. So listen, I don't know what the entire story is there. I do not know why the guy was um, being arrested in the first place. I don't know if maybe that group originally called the cops on the guy and this police officer showed up. Now, one thing I can say is that officer right there um, is, is really going to need some better training. He tries to take down the guy and just terrible, terrible job. And if there would not have been another, if there, if these people wouldn't have been around to help the guy out, I don't know what would have happened. Cause the guy just, the police officer ended up down on the ground, covering his face, getting punched by the dude. And luckily the people in the crowd come and pull the person off of the officer. Cause you don't know what would have happened. Could have grabbed his taser, could have grabbed his gun, could have, could have kept going on him. There's no telling. And so what I wanted to do was point out that we talk a lot about the protests. We talk about the hatred for police, obviously about the racial divide that's going on. I just wanted to point out, even though they're, they probably went a little too far in the uh, holding down of this guy, which was a, kind of a continued beating until the police officer got over there. The guy was on top of a cop, punched him in the head. This crowd of people that were out pulled him off of there, might have saved the officer's life. And that's a, that's a really good thing. So honestly, good on these people for no matter what, not letting a potential divide between themselves or their community, community and the police, uh, not letting that allow them to watch a police officer get beat to death in the street to actually come to his aid and help out when you see someone uh, being, being punched in the head on the street like that. I just think that that was a pretty good thing. So I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what exactly was going on in the situation. I just wanted to point that out because we point out all kinds of other stuff all the other times. So, all right, guys, if you are interested in learning how to day trade, go to mastermystonks.com. Was that a pretty good one? I don't know. We'll see. Go to mastermystonks.com and go ahead and sign up. You can get 20% off your first two months in the class because it's Charlie's birthday month. And so use the promo code 20STONK to get two months, 20% off. we got over 200 videos on there taking you from don't even know a word yet all the way up to getting to where I'm at, where Charlie's at with trading. It's going to take some time, of course, because there's a lot of things to learn, but anyone can learn this stuff, I promise you. You can master learning the charts. You can master learning how to read all these patterns, all these things, learning the strategies, and then you get to master your own mindset, your own psychology. That's going to be the biggest part. That's what we focus an awful lot on in the class. So you can go to mastermystonks.com, use the promo code 20STONK, and then once again go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty 
and go ahead and sign up for at least five bucks a month, okay? Now, if you want to be included in these Patreon call-in sessions, like we're going to be doing at least once a month or a little bit more than that, well, then you would have to be at the $15 level at least. But you can go five bucks a month and you can just watch us live and comment back and forth. There's uh, somewhere around a billion comments on this video today. I've done a really bad job. Uh, reading them and talking about them, but it's really hard to talk and read comments at the same time. That's not a skill I've had to master because I've always had someone else here that would talk sometimes, and then I could read, and then I could talk, and then he can read. So, so it's something new. But anyway, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. Tell your friends about the show. Tell a communist uncle, and make sure they subscribe to the podcast. Get a little dose of life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. You guys do all those things. And I'll be right back again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.